Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Future is Full of Second Chances. I am your host, Ruby Powell Dennis. These episodes are all about conversations with Black women candidates and operatives who've run before to talk a little bit about what it's been like to run for office, to run a campaign, some of their reflections on that, and their hope for the future of electoral politics. And for today's episode, we are here with judge-elect A. Nicole Phillips, who recently ran and won and is now serving as the judge-elect for Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas in Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for being with us, Nicole. We're excited to hear more about your journey. Thank you so much for having me, and I thank you for the support of the Elect Black Women PAC along the way. It was very important to my campaign, so I'm happy to be back with you. Oh, thank you for that. So, Nicole, you know, for our listeners who may not know you very well, who are just getting to know you, can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey and what led you to eventually run for office? Yeah, so I have been an attorney now for 20 years. And when I started this journey way back, as they say, in the 1900s now, (laughs) is, you know, I went to law school because I thought I'd be an attorney forever advocating for victims of crime and communities affected by crime as a prosecutor. And because I wanted to be, you know, a person of color in the courtroom who was able to do that advocacy work because I recognized that many of those communities and victims look like me. And needed a voice that could under someone who could understand them and who could treat them with dignity and respect and make sure that their voices were heard in the process. And so that's why I went to law school. And so I was able to do that. I started off as an assistant district attorney here in this area in the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office right out of law school. And that was as a result of an internship I had in law school. I took a little break because during that time I became a wife and a mother. And so I took a little break from practice and I worked at Temple Law School advising students in the career planning office, which is a little bit of a non-traditional track, but things worked out. Ultimately, I was able to return to uh, my original work, but at the federal level as an assistant United States attorney for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. And I did that for eight years. And then I think it's during that time that I started to think about how I could be impactful as a judge. By that time, I had been, you know, tried lots of cases, been in front of lots of judges, both at the local level and federal level, was able to see what was really good and what really wasn't effective in making sure that justice was meted out in the courtrooms. And so I saw a space where particularly more people of color, women of color, were needed on our benches at both levels to make those impacts and to be able to bring our unique perspectives to the table. And something that I thought, you know, in the beginning of my career was not possible or attainable began to become more real and as an option and a possibility for me. And so I started to kind of ruminate with that, if you will. And um, but you couldn't run for office, you know, out of a government position like that. And, you know, as the tables turned and things happened, I was um, blessed to get a partnership at a local firm, Montgomery McCracken, Walker and Rhodes. Didn't go with the intention to run so quickly. I thought I'd be there for quite some time before I made the run. But again, life happens the way it does and seasons happen and you kind of need to roll with it and be open. And so the possibility arose in Montgomery County, which is where I live. And it just so happened that the first and only African-American female judge on that court was retiring. 
And that was the only seat that was open for this election cycle. And so it was sort of like, you know what, let's go for it. And so that's what we did. And here I am uh, about 15 or 18 months post that initial decision. And after a year long race, and on November 2nd, we were successful in the general election. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, I love that you talk about just like the turns and the, the, the choices that you made and you're able to put your family first and still find success. Talk to us a little bit about just, you know, what are some encouraging words you would give to Black women who might feel like, okay, I'm making this choice because it's in the best interest of my family. Just about, you know, how did you know to keep going and what kind of encouraged you in those times where you know you had to put your family first, even though you're balancing your own dreams? Yeah, a couple things I would say right out the gate. I'm going to I've never apologized for the fact that I am a woman of faith. And so I am always prayerful about decisions that I make and where I'm going. And what I find that, you know, staying focused and centered in my faith has always helped me to also be wise in my decision making. And I do believe that family is a priority. And that's just the way I chose to go, right? And I am blessed to have had a village to have supported that along the way, that balance. And sometimes my decisions were purely personal that I felt my kids needed me in this particular way at this particular time. And again, just focusing in on what's the right thing, that opportunity at Temple became available. And some other opportunities, even within the DA's office became available you know, with those decisions where I didn't have to leave the DA's office right away. I just pivoted away from trial practice to appellate practice where I was able to do more writing and have a little bit more of a nine to five situation. But then I stepped away, but I, you know, I didn't want to leave the practice completely. And that's when this temple opportunity came about. And really, I will just tell you, and I, and I say this as importance because I tell this to mentees as well. I literally went on career builder and went to law schools and anything that was kind of quasi-legal and said, what do I want to do? What can I do? And that's where I found it. So I say that to mentees and folks to never kind of poo-poo all of those, those career sites and different things that you're told to go on. Just, you know, really be open when you're in that type of situation and really look and see where the opportunities are. And that's what happened. Now, what made that possibility available, though, was I had at the DA's office been a part of their on-campus interviewing and mentoring students so they knew me. So I say all that to say that relationships are important. Networking is important and always kind of leaving a good imprint or footprint wherever you go because you never know where you might need to capitalize or, you know, go back to those relationships that you've built. And then even with my return to practice, again, that was a family decision, but it was also like, this is the right time. This is the right place. And I kind of need to hop on this and we need to figure out how to make it work because at that time, that was my my dream job. But again, the wonderful thing about that office, you know, kind of when you interview for a place, you're interviewing them as well as them interviewing you was I was thankful that they were family oriented and that they were open to the fact that you might need to bring your kids in sometimes on a weekend or, or whatever. And you were able to bring work home. And so all of that worked out, but it's really just a matter of kind of being in command of your space, being comfortable with the decisions that you need to make and and staying centered. And that's what I have have really attribute that to. And even now, I, again, didn't think I was going to run for office while my children were still in school. I wanted to wait until they, they left school. But again, 
staying focused on right timing, right season, listening, being wise, leading on the village and all of that working out together and having the support of people who would say, you know, if you need me to take the kids or help with homework, whatever you need me to do. And really just kind of letting go sometimes of my own pride, you know, to say, I do need help right now. And that that worked out. Now, I'm not going to discount that it was very helpful that we were in a pandemic. So most of my campaigning, truth be told, was via Zoom. So I could cook dinner at six o'clock, check homework, and then at seven o'clock start getting on my campaign meeting. So I was that was very much a blessing that was kind of unique out of the, you know, the sad circumstances of the pandemic, but just, you know, kind of a little silver lining there in that respect. Thank you for sharing that and talking about your village and just the reality of, you know, finding that balance and but also still moving forward because it can feel really challenging when you have so many plates spinning. So thank Absolutely. you for that. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, as you are thinking about post-election reflections, just what's on your heart and mind now that you are a judge-elect? You know, what are some things that you maybe wish that you knew that you, <laughs> when you started, some things you might have wished you had known versus what you know now? We'd love to kind of hear some of your reactions and reflections on your journey. That's a really great question, especially for me, because I was a complete political novice. Again, most of my career has been in government. So you have to be apolitical. You can't really get involved in politics or can't get involved in politics. And so I really did not have an idea of the landscape. Again, it takes a village to raise a candidate. <laughs> and so I, like that. I <laughs> and so I again was very fortunate to be connected right away once I made my decision to, you know, a campaign manager who was I, you know, reached out to a company, quite frankly, that it was referred from some other successful candidates. We had a phone conversation. And that person had already heard my name as well. And that was kind of it. I was like, I need somebody right away. I hear you're good and let's go for it. And we'll, you know, work with the numbers. Again, it is financial. That was also a limitation that I, I was very concerned about as a single mom. Um, you know, how am I going to make all of this work? So I found somebody who worked with me, who was flexible on those kinds of things. So that's part of the research you have to do. And also making sure that the person you're employing is reasonable. You know, there are some people that are just out there for the money and not really trying to work for you. So all of that was very important from the beginning. And I was very candid, never done this before. You need to tell me what to do and how to do it well. But in addition, you know, I was talking to other successful candidates. I was doing some of my own research. There are very, there are strategies about this, right? The, knowing your community, knowing where you need to get involved, knowing who the players are making the, having those phone calls, making the, yourself available so that people can get to know you because you want people to vote for you. So you want people to be confident in the person that is seeking their vote. So you need to be ready to put yourself out there, have those conversations, go out to those coffee meetings, talk to those folks. And then, you know, you're at events, you're at meetings, getting to know those, the people that again are going to vote for you. In Montgomery County, we have a very strong Democratic Party that's very organized into different committees by municipality. So I'm out at those meetings. And ultimately, that committee makes endorsements of who they're going to back going forward. So I had to go out every night talking to folks, getting, letting them get to know me. Because again, because of my 
work history, I had not been able to get involved. And so it was a lot of kind of every night being interviewed, right? And ultimately to get that endorsement. All of that is really important. You got to have somebody on the inside that can help you navigate those waters. Same with the fundraising. As a judicial candidate, I cannot get involved in fundraising directly. So I had to have a team of people who I could trust, who were going to represent me well when they picked up the phone and talked about me or sent out an email on my behalf, reaching out to people for those donations. I was very fortunate. Most of my donations were kind of grassroots from individuals rather than organizations. I was very fortunate to hear of the Elect Black Women Pack and get their support and some others, but a large part of my financial support was individuals. For me, <laughs> I always like to tell the story of my momager, as I call her. My mother went on a letter writing campaign um, of everyone she could think of. I think she only missed my kindergarten teacher and uh, probably because she couldn't find her. <laughs> but church connections, community, former neighbors, she just wrote a letter and the donations were rolling in. And so, again, thinking about your network, this is not really the time you can be shy. I'm not that type of person who asks people for things. So I was thankful that I didn't have to do that myself, quite frankly, that other people had to do it. So these are some really important things that I learned along the way, messaging, how to connect, making sure your message is relatable. In the beginning, my messaging was more professional and about these are my credentials. And someone had to pull my coattail and say, but we don't know who you are. We assume that you're credentialed or else you would not be seeking the position. But who are you and why do we want you on the bench? Or, you know, then I started being more comfortable with I'm a mom. My sons are in the high school here in the area. That's important to people in the community that you're invested in the community. What work I had done, all kinds of things about me that, you know, I didn't really talk about. Now I had to, to get comfortable with that and tell it in a way that I was comfortable with that so that it was natural and organic and people could connect and it didn't feel stilted and scripted and what have you. That takes some time. And so if someone's thinking about it now, you should start really kind of writing that now, really thinking about what do I want people to know about me and also being willing to take a little bit of risk with that because people need to know who you are and that they can trust you. Thank you for sharing that and talking about that openness and allowing people to connect with you because to your point, you know, you're meeting lots of people you've never met before and you want to make a great impression and, and thinking through how to do that can be really challenging. But I love yeah. the way that you laid it out to make it your own, but still, again, you know, having folks represent the very best of you. Yes. I love that. Thank you for sharing. One other thing, if I can mention, especially yeah. in this day and age, social media campaigns. I was not a huge social media person. I like to look at other people's pictures, but not really post a lot. And in this day and age, your social media campaign is huge. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually an area that I never got to 100% proficiency in kind of really finding a social media person mm -hmm. who could kind of do all of that. We kind of did a patchwork, but I think it's really important if you have someone who can really work the Twitter, the Instagram, of course, the Facebook, and really, because it became, I have to post every day. After every event, I got to get pictures up. As they say, if it's not on Facebook, it didn't happen. And so I, <laughs> and so that was something that, again, 
taking pictures. I'm not a picture taker, but I had to get very comfortable very quickly because again, for those people that are not in those committee meetings, but whose vote I want, that's how they're getting to know me. That's how they're getting to know my story. That's how they're getting comfortable with casting that vote in the primaries or the general. So get again, when you're starting to think about this, you've got to get somebody who's social media savvy, who could really help you with all that right away. That's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, and also to hear, you know, because you ran for judge, just even from your perspective, you know, how do you communicate your message out? Because, you know, a few years ago, if we had said a judicial candidate needed to worry about social media, people might have been like, well, you know, but to your point, things have changed. And so, you know, and with COVID, that's how people are now, you know, looking to get to know folks through social media. That's right. I love that. So, you know, Nicole, talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff that you're up to now. I think one of the probably least explored areas is just like the transition phase. Like once you become an elect, you know, until the moment you take the oath of office, you know, what are the, like, how, how do you spend your time? What, what are some of the things that you've been working on since your election day? In addition to, of course, getting some rest, hopefully. Actually, you know, it's pretty administrative, if you will. You know, I am still at my firm and I've been at my firm the entire time. Thankfully, they've been very supportive in this uh, pursuit So I'm really just winding down that work and doing the administrative transition to my new position. I get to see my chambers on Wednesday and I'm interviewing staff. And thankfully, I am taking on the secretary of my predecessor since she's retiring. And that is a wonderful transition. Again, it was very important to me that I find people who are experienced in that court who um, can hit the ground running and we can all work together. So in the midst of doing that, also just there is a transition for, again, someone like myself, who's really transitioning from being a lay person, if you will, to public office. There's a life, uh, some lifestyle changes. There are some family changes. And so I'm really also, I'm a researcher and I'm a studier. So I am sitting at the feet of other judges who I consider mentors And I'm talking to them about how did you make the transition? What do I need to be thinking about from the beginning? Do's and don'ts from your career. That's, I think we have to do that. And I love, you know, I have, again, some mentors, judicial mentors who love paying it forward. So I am just really sitting, including my predecessor, being ready to hit the ground running on January 3rd, which is when I'm sworn in. So that's, to me, that's really important as well. You should really just learn from others and not feel like, oh, you know, I got this. I must know what I'm doing. Of course you don't. <laughs> you you can look at it and judge it and say, oh, I can do that. But when you're ready to get in the position, you need to be humble enough to acknowledge what you don't know and be ready to learn so that you can be the best that you can be. I love that. I love that. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, as you look ahead to 2022, one of the things that we like to ask all of our guests is what's on their heart and mind in terms of, you know, the future of, you know, elections, electoral politics, particularly for Black women. Um, So I'd like to pose that question to you, Nicole. What is, you know, for 2022, in addition to, of course, you know, taking the oath and serving, you know, what are some of your hopes and goals for Black women in politics? You know, my hopes and goals is that we just continue to go forward. There are so many spaces where, sadly, in 2021, there still hasn't been a Black woman. There are certain courts where there still has not been a Black woman. Again, recognizing that in 2021, 
I am only going to be the second black woman on my court in Montgomery County. And again, because my predecessor is retiring, I will still be the only black woman on my court. And if you look, you know, even in the nominations that are being made by the Biden administration, they are still filling courts with black women for the first time at the district level, the circuit level. And, you know, we're still waiting on the Supreme Court level. But that's setting up women, you know, because, again, it's about credentials. It's about qualifications. And so the fact that we're seeing some black women being nominated to circuit courts at the federal level is a good step, you know, in the right direction towards getting um, that black woman on the Supreme Court, hopefully in the not so distant future. But all around the country, there are positions where we still have strides to make. And my hope is that black women um, continue to pursue those positions. As you know, in Pennsylvania, we had two black women running for statewide positions that this PAC supported. And we are also thankful for that. Um, The good news is that one of those women is actually successful. Judge Lori Dumas is going to be on our Commonwealth Court. And that's interesting about the state of our elections, because on election night, it looked like she had not won that seat. And because in Pennsylvania, you cannot start counting mail-in ballots until the end, the close of election day, that whole week, we started to see the tide shift. And now she is actually has won one of those seats. Unfortunately, our other uh, woman who was running for Superior Court was not successful. We still have work to do in Pennsylvania for our statewide elections. And so Pennsylvania is not unlike many other states across this country, where we still have strides to make in terms of women winning statewide elections, but again, starting at local elections. And I'm so thankful that we see more women running. I've been able to follow many of the women that you all have endorsed and watch their journeys, but we still have more work to do. What the importance of this organization, Elect Black Women PAC and others like She Can Win, which is based out of Philadelphia, which also endorsed myself and uh, the other black women judges in this area, is having these kinds of support systems, having these kinds of organizations that can provide training, that can provide support and guidance on helping us be successful in elections. I think there are probably more women like me who look at these systems and say, oh, I, you know, financially, what does this look like? What does this look like for my family? Where do I begin? I don't know the political players. What do I do? But to be able to know that there are organizations such as yours that can help us figure out what to do without judgment and with with empowerment and with guidance, we'll see more success. And that's what I hope to see, because we do bring a unique perspective to these spaces, lived experience, Mm -hmm. professional experience that is just really unique to who we are. And that's important. It's important for us to have a seat at the table to express these things that other people just aren't thinking about and to say, hey, what about this in your conversation and get people to really consider that when making decisions. And that's not just in the, that's not just from the bench, but that's from your city commissions, your county, your borough councils, your mayor's offices to your executive levels in your companies. We still have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of room at the table. We just need to support one another in helping us, as they say, if we don't have the seat at the table, bring our own seat to that table and make them make space for us. That's it. That's it. That's it. I love that. Nicole, you know, you preaching today and I'm here for (laughs) you. 
I'm here for it. Uh, so t- before we close out, I mean, Nicole, you've given us, our audience, a lot to think about, especially when it comes to supporting judicial candidates, because to your point, there's just a lot that, you know, a lot of places where we, we are not represented. And so, you know, if you are an attorney out there who's listening, you know, following the leadership journey of Nicole and other judges is important because, you know, we, we do need a more representative democracy, and that includes who sits on, on the bench. But before we go, we'd love for you to just tell us how can we follow you? You know, what's on the horizon if we want to keep up with you, your leadership journey and your service? Yeah. So um, here my term is 10 years. So at this point, the next 10 years is giving Montgomery County the best service that I can give from the bench. I will be starting in our family court division. Uh, The way our court is set up, we have five different divisions and at any time. According to the you know, president judge, I will be moving around, but I'll be starting in family court. So I'm getting geared up for that and look forward to serving our families and our children here in Montgomery County. I still have my Facebook page, which is Nicole Phillips for Judge Montgomery County Court of Common Pleas. My website is friendsofnicolephillips.org. And we also have an Instagram page as well. I believe it's also Nicole Phillips for Judge as well. So we'll continue to um, have some activity just to show what we may be involved in. Because another very important thing to me, Ruby, is using this position to be a mentor and to be a role model for our youth. I believe that we have to get involved in crime prevention, not just wait for them to show up in our courtroom. Let's keep them out of the courtroom, right? Let's keep them out of the hands of the police. And part of the way to do that is to get involved early and often with our youth. And so I plan to use this role to do, continue to do that in the work that I've already been doing and show our children that this is a possibility. This is attainable. And they can look at me and say, well, if Judge Phillips can do it, then I can too. And I'm ready and willing to support them and make sure that they understand that and um, help educate them about the system. Our kids need to know about the system as well. And again, in that pr- prevention mindset, So that's part of what my goal is as well, is to continue to serve our young people in our community and make an impact from that standpoint as well. Thank you for that. Thank you again, Ruby. Your support, the Elect Black Women PAC support and guidance that you're doing for those of us around the country is just absolutely phenomenal and inspiring. And I just wish you all well as you continue in this journey because I know there's more work that you want to do and have to do. So I look forward to just following you all as well. And thank you so much for your support and for this platform. I really appreciate it. So I wish you well. That's all for today's episode. We would like to thank our guests, our production team, and staff. Today's episode was edited by Benjamin Rednor. To support us, visit electblackwomenpack.com or find us on social. Subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like this show, share it with a friend. Thanks for listening.